on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great nation and a great day despite the fact that uh, the President of the United States for the third time recently is uh, under attack and a threat of impeachment. Did I say third time? It's more than that, actually, because you have uh, Richard Nixon, uh, who did not quite get impeached, uh, Bill Clinton, who was impeached and uh, was, of course, not removed from office, and Donald Trump, who had two different impeachments. Now the impeachment guns are turned on Joe Biden. The House passing uh, yesterday a uh, resolution calling for a formal investigation of impeachment. Now, one of the questions people could ask is, why wasn't this stopped in the Senate? Answer, because it didn't have to go to the Senate. It's a House resolution. Uh, Andrew McCarthy knows all about that. He knows all about everything. He is uh, one of the sharpest legal minds around. He is, for many years, a very esteemed assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. In other words, a top prosecutor. He is uh, also a contributing editor at uh, National Review and a senior fellow at National Review Institute. His most recent column is called Andy McCarthy on the Hunter Circus. It's basically the Hunter Biden circus comes to Capitol Hill. So is this going to end with the impeachment of President uh, Joe Biden? Uh, I don't think so, Michael. Uh, And I I appreciate all the kind things that you said, but I think you really hit the nail um, on the head as far as the most important points are. Uh, This didn't have to go to the Senate because the Constitution commits the power of impeachment solely to the House. Um, The Senate has the power to try impeachments if the House returns articles of impeachment. But the important thing, as far as yesterday was concerned, is that the Constitution gives the impeachment power to the House, not to the Speaker of the House. So the big controversy up until now has been the fact that uh, Kevin McCarthy a few months ago, uh, reminiscent of Nancy Pelosi when she was speaker during the Trump-Ukraine impeachment in 2019, uh, tried to unilaterally authorize an impeachment inquiry. Um, And that has prompted the Biden administration, just as it prompted the Trump administration in 2019, Uh, to say that it need not cooperate with subpoenas and other information demands because the inquiry is not legitimate unless it's uh, approved by the full House. So that was why it was important yesterday to get it approved by the full House. So at at what – did they give any estimate, the Republicans who passed this resolution, at um, what time they've been investigating uh, various – Justice Department efforts and and others. They've been investigating Hunter Biden for five years. Uh, when uh, when do you think they wrap up this investigation and get to questions about uh, well about impeaching the president? You you by the way, there's no constitutional basis for impeaching the son of the president, is there? No, I uh, 
Uh, impeachment is just a stripping of, um, of uh, authority from uh, an officer of the government. Uh, so, you know, Hunter has his criminal justice system problems, but impeachment is not in the cards for him. Uh, but when you asked me if I thought that the president would ultimately be impeached, uh, the reason I, I don't think so is it took months for Republicans, even though they are the majority of the House, albeit barely, to cobble together the votes they needed to approve just an inquiry, which doesn't require you to do anything. It doesn't require you to file articles of impeachment. It's just an investigation. But the dynamic here is that there are 17 Republicans who hold seats in the House in districts that were won by Biden in 2020. So the impeachment vote, even to investigate impeachment, uh, was very difficult for them. And while the new speaker, Mike Johnson, finally brought them around and got everybody, all the Republican side unanimously voted for the impeachment inquiry, I think it would be a very different and difficult thing to get them to actually vote for articles of impeachment unless there's some dramatic change beyond uh, what we know now. And, of course, we know that there's no way, even if they could get an article of impeachment across the finish line in the House, there's not a prayer that the Senate would ever convict and remove Biden under circumstances where the Senate is controlled thinly by Democrats, but the Constitution requires a two-thirds supermajority for conviction in the Senate before a president could be removed. Well, that was the same problem and the obvious argument against both impeachment proceedings against President Trump is you may dislike what he's done, you may dislike who he is, you may want to see him out of office, but you're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate to vote for that uh, when the Senate is so closely divided as it has been recently. Um, my, my question for you right now, uh, Andy, is that yesterday uh, Hunter Biden made some declarations on the Capitol building steps and he repeated again his offer to uh, go ahead and answer questions for the House Oversight Committee or whatever committee they designate. And to do all of that, if they made it a public session that would obviously be televised on TV and full of drama, I don't fully understand why did the Republicans turn down that offer? Because uh, it wasn't... Uh an honest offer. Um, Hunter is not going to testify because he's now been indicted in two separate federal cases on either side of the country. Obviously, he doesn't want to come out publicly and say, I'm not going to testify because anything I say can, can be used against me in the two cases where I'm facing a combined uh, half century or so of uh, <laughs> prison exposure. Uh, so what he would like the country to think instead is that he's not testifying, not because he has anything to fear from uh, being incriminated, but because the Republicans can't be trusted and are insidious and it's the MAGA Republicans who are uh, destroying the country, et cetera, et cetera. So he made this offer knowing that it would not be accepted. Um, and then he could spin it that they don't want to – it's a deep, dark, insidious thing, and they don't want to interview him except from behind closed doors because he's going to blow the lid off the case against his father and all that stuff. 
But what people need to understand is that the in the investigative phase, the closed door deposition is the way that Congress conducts investigations. It's the way the Democrats did it in the in connection with Trump. It's the way the January 6th committee did it. Uh, and it's the way it's done. Uh, and there were many witnesses in those instances who asked for public hearings rather than to be deposed behind closed doors. And uh, that was rebuffed routinely. The only reason we're hearing about it in connection with Hunter is the media liked those other investigations and they don't like the current one. So we're hearing all about how the Republicans didn't want to question him uh, in in uh, public. But I think, you know, Michael, you should understand that when they do a deposition behind closed doors, it's done by professional investigators who get one hour rounds so that you can actually develop lines of inquiry rather than this crazy public session they do where 40 members of Congress um, have five minute rounds. It's completely incoherent. And if the witness tries to answer, the member claims his time back. If the, if the guy has the temerity to try to answer the question. So it's really not conducive to developing lines of investigation. And uh, again, uh, this um, entire investigation may have political impact. Uh and on the Michael Medved Show... Uh, speaking with Andrew McCarthy, who is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute and a contributing editor to National Review, their top legal writer. And he has spent a great deal of time as a former prosecutor looking at the various cases. And honestly, you're talking about 91 different indictments against President Trump. And every single indictment seems to make him more and more popular but not necessarily popular among the general electorate, but popular in the Republican Party. And Andrew McCarthy has the provocative idea that may just be on target, that this is all part of some kind of uh, democratic plan. Explain what we were just talking about after the air, because it's fascinating, Andy. Well, thank you. I, I, I've been talking about this for a couple of years now, but I thought and still think that they, uh, whether it was the Biden Justice Department, which brought two of the indictments. When you said 91 indictments, you mean 91 counts. It's four indictments overall, two state indictments brought by elected progressive uh, prosecutors uh, and two indictments brought by the Biden Justice Department. And note, for example, that the Biden Justice Department investigated January 6th for three years, uh, but they waited to indict Trump until the, you know, the campaign was, uh, was virtually uh, underway. In fact, I think he was already a declared uh, candidate. Um, so I don't think the timing of these indictments is an accident. Uh, I think it reflects what Democrats have done uh, throughout the Trump years and the years after Trump's presidency, which is in the uh, primary stage, they actually uh, get involved and try to promote uh, pro-Trump candidates because they know that those candidates uh, resonate with the Republican base but are unpopular uh, with the broader public. So the, the idea is get them nominated and then you clobber them in November. 
And I think that was always the plan with Trump. It's important to remember that Trump, uh, even when he miraculously won in 2016, if you told somebody ahead of the election that it was essentially a two-person race and the guy who got 46 percent was going to win, uh, that would seem highly unlikely. Yet that's what happened. He pulled kind of an inside straight. He's much more unpopular now than he was then. Uh, and I think the Democratic plan has always been get the base whipped up with these indictments. And then once he's got the nomination locked in, which he almost has now, we'll have to see what happens in the next six weeks. But uh, then you turn to the phase where you actually try some of these cases and maybe hopefully from their perspective, uh, get him convicted of felonies in the run up to the election, um, which will have a de devastating impact on his campaign, I believe. Well, the, I think the polling shows that he would lose six points, six percent of the people right. who would otherwise vote for Trump. And only six percent say they would give up on him if he were actually convicted. Do you, in terms of these trials beginning, um, do, you, do you think it is likely that any of the trials against uh, Donald Trump would have a verdict before the election next November? Yes, Judge Tanya Chutkin is trying very hard at the urging of Jack Smith uh, to stick with her March 4th trial date. Um, and that's a case that would take two to three months. Interesting, Michael, uh, unlike these civil cases that he's uh, gone through in the last year, in a federal criminal trial, the defendant has to be in court every day for the entirety of the proceedings. So we're going to have like the prohibitive favorite, and he may even be the clinch nominee by the time this all happens. We'll have to be in a courtroom in Washington, D.C. every day for two to three months while that trial takes place. But they're trying very hard to keep that trial date. That's the reason that Jack Smith uh, this week asked the Supreme Court to intervene uh, and decide Trump's immunity claim, which uh, Judge Chutkin just rejected on December 1st, he's looking to cut out the intermediate level of uh, appeal in the D.C. Circuit uh, and get it right to the Supreme Court in the hope of speeding things along to maintain his March trial date. I think this is all very unseemly, by the way, because prosecutors aren't supposed to worry about the, the political calendar, but that's what's driving all of this. Well, again, part of that is that uh, uh, it, it would be possible, would it not, constitutionally, if there isn't a verdict yet on a case, uh, or even if there is a verdict, for Trump to pardon himself uh, if, if he is elected he gets, president. If he gets elected, yes, yeah. if, if he gets elected president, that's correct. Yeah, so, I, again... Uh, Yes. In other words, uh, there's no how does that how would that work uh, if if Trump is still in the midst of a trial, he would be able to pardon himself nonetheless and make the trial moot? Well, I think the reason, Michael, that Trump that Trump has the opposite incentive of uh, of the Democrats and the prosecutor. Right. He wants to push everything off beyond Election Day, which is why. Um, he's so seized with this immunity issue. Most issues in federal criminal law, you're not allowed to um, appeal pretrial. 
But there were some issues that actually go to whether it's appropriate to have a trial in the first place. One of them is immunity. So Trump has uh, pushed that because it's his ticket to getting up to the appellate courts. And getting up to the appellate courts could mean delay, which could push the thing beyond Election Day. And what he's hoping is he'll never have to pardon himself because if he wins the election, he'll be running the Justice Department. He'll appoint the next attorney general and they'll simply drop the charges. Do you think that uh, could that uh, uh, attorney general take office without being confirmed by the Senate? No. But the president, so, runs, you... you know, the president, all executive power is reposed in the president. So the Justice Department has to have somebody running it. And the president, if it's Trump, will order whoever is running the Justice Department to drop the case. And if you your your uh, job in the Justice Department is. If the president gives you an order, you either follow it or you resign. Um, so he'll find uh, somebody to carry out his order. <laughs> so um, none of this is is uh, particularly encouraging, it seems, for people who want America to, ca- to calm down a little bit. Uh, uh, wouldn't uh, do you do you hold by that idea that it, a another Republican could run more strongly against Biden, like Nikki Haley is ahead by 17 points head on head with Biden? I I think, yeah, I I think any, I think either Haley or DeSantis or Christie, for that matter, could beat Biden. And I'm pretty sure any of the Democrats that we could think of could beat Trump. the, The question is, which of them could beat the other? (laughs) And that is a question that history will decide. Andrew McCarthy, his most recent columns posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back on The Medved Show. And when it comes to popularity, nobody more popular this time of year, uh, this time of year, than uh, Kris Kringle, Santa Claus himself. So uh, a fundamental question is, is Santa Claus a liberal or a conservative? And I make a very strong choice uh, argument that uh, Santa Claus is in fact a deep-dyed, serious, uncompromising, principled, idealistic conservative. And you can read that argument, which is actually one that I first made a decade ago, but it's uh, Throwback Thursday at uh, michaelmedved.substack.com. So uh, you can go to michaelmedved.substack.com and uh, join us in a subscription and join the literally thousands at this point who have already been part of the subscription service and uh, find out all about the arguments that can dazzle and surprise your friends about Santa Claus and his conservative leanings that have previously been uh, unheralded. 
Uh, speaking of unheralded, uh, there's a uh, an interview with Joe Manchin and uh, the Wall Street Journal, and uh, they were holding a CEO council summit in Washington. And the the lead says that Democratic Senator Joe Manchin declined to speculate uh, this week whether or not he would make a third party run for president while playing down the significance of poll numbers that showed such a campaign having almost no support among voters. And the most recent polling that said, what if uh, Joe Manchin is a candidate for president on the no labels ticket running an independent campaign, in effect, though there would be a party organized to get him on the ballot various places, 3% say they would back Joe Manchin. That means he has a lot of ground to cover. The 76-year-old centrist West Virginia lawmaker, says the journal, who has grown increasingly uncomfortable in the Democratic Party, said he wouldn't make any predictions about whether his name would appear on the ballot, but he said he plans to kick off the next chapter of his political career in January by traveling for two months with the hope of mobilizing people like myself who feel like they are homeless, politically homeless. Well, this is a uh, a homeless problem that most people don't focus on. But uh, there's no question that there are literally millions of Americans who probably feel that way. What I can tell you is this. There might be a movement. There might not, said Joe Manchin. That depends. I really don't know. That's uh, what he said. He said also said he wouldn't be a spoiler in the race and would only run if he thought he could win. But that's problematic because every politician thinks that he can win or that she can win. On November 9th, Manchin said that he wouldn't run for another six-year term in the U.S. Senate, facing a tough fight in a state where voters have increasingly supported conservative candidates. At uh, the event this week, Manchin predicted that it would be years before his state's residents ever vote to send another Democrat to represent them. Not in my lifetime, he said, when asked about the past comments he has made about being the last Democratic senator to come from West Virginia. I don't see that happening. I think our state has changed so much, citing what he called the Democratic Party's hostility to coal production. A recent Wall Street Journal poll found little support for a mansion run for president, by more than two to one, voters in the survey had an unfavorable rather than a favorable view of Manchin of 44 percent to 18 percent. Republicans, Democrats and independents all viewed him more in an unfavorable than favorable light, with Democrats the least favorable of the groups. Manchin drew a, a meager three percent support as a presidential candidate. Now, what's fascinating here with the Democrats having the most negative view of Manchin, what that means is that if he ran for president, he might take more votes away from Trump than he would from Biden. Though you simply never know in these situations. A mansion drew a meager 3% support as a presidential candidate when the journal survey tested him 
as a potential presidential nominee of the No Labels Group, which says it wants to run a unity ticket, presumably including a candidate from each party. Manchin has participated in events and donor calls hosted by No Labels, a group that is uh, uh, laying the groundwork to potentially run an alternative candidate if the 2024 presidential race becomes a Donald Trump-Joe Biden rematch, heaven forbid. Probably a bad poll, Manchin quipped when told of the results uh, at the Wall Street Journal event. Uh, Meanwhile, the uh, idea that a lot of what is uh, we're looking forward to next year, which is coming upon us very quickly, we are now 31 days away from the uh, Iowa caucuses. That's all. And it is looking more and more like it's going to be a dueling accusations, uh, bitter accusations against Trump versus bitter accusations against Biden. Uh, Adam Kinzinger, who was a Republican and a conservative Republican member of the Congress of the United States, uh, not a supporter of President Trump. He voted for Trump's second impeachment. And uh, he uh, he suggests that the impeachment of Joe Biden is uh, not an appropriate step. This is uh, Adam Kinzinger on CNN. Listen. Said no evidence. This tonight, this vote tonight, potentially for an impeachment inquiry, will be the first time in American history that they're using an impeachment inquiry not to get to you know justice hesitate, hesitate, but we have to get to justice, but as a way to go on a fishing expedition. You're going to have all day on CNN these so-called moderate Republicans come on and talk about how boy they don't know if he's guilty, but. They have to do this so they can get to the answer of some things. This is the first time in history that will happen. And a lot of them are going to take that approach because they want to satisfy the MAGA base at the moment and vote for the impeachment inquiry while trying to look reasonable and and truly like, oh, we're all for justice. This is look, if you have evidence of the president having done what you're accusing him of, then open this impeachment inquiry and impeach him. But they don't have evidence of that. And they're desperate to find it because they have determined the outcome before they've even gotten the facts. Well, guess what? That what they're doing is trying to use the uh, impeachment process to uh, discredit a, a president before he faces the electorate. What's interesting about that, of course, is that uh, that uh, same idea was uh, not tried on Richard Nixon or uh, Bill Clinton, uh, who faced um, basically the idea of impeachments after they had been reelected. And uh, both were reelected fairly comfortably, so it became clear that the uh, impeachments were an attempt for both Clinton and Nixon, and I think it's pretty obvious to try to win a political victory by getting rid of the president, uh, uh, the same president you couldn't get rid of by winning a majority to actually vote against him. Uh, We will talk more about the future of impeachments and the impact on both parties and uh, then a, a meaningful question and answer session involving Vladimir Putin. 
Uh, what does uh, the dictator of Russia have to say? We will get to that and more coming up. More of Michael Medved. Wait! In a moment. Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. Sluts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by. And when you're thinking of gifts for this season, uh, consider. A, uh, a membership, a subscription at uh, michaelmedved.substack.com. We've uh, just posted the third in our 10-part uh, podcast series. Uh, it's coming up. It's uh, uh, under myths, misunderstandings, and lies about the Middle East. Uh, part two of 10 is already up there. Part three of 10 uh, is on the way. It'll be there before the weekend. Uh, check it all out at michaelmedved.substack.com. Uh, meanwhile, there is a uh, continued controversy about uh, the war in Ukraine, obviously, and the need for the United States to continue its commitment to give Ukraine a decent chance of national survival, really is what we're talking about. Uh, the chief enemy of the Ukraine, of Vladimir Putin, who has announced his re-election drive, uh, that election coming up in March, he uh, did a press conference. And uh, he uh, was asked at the press conference, challenging question, when will peace come? It's particularly a challenging question if the uh, American estimates are correct that there are 315,000 Russians who have either been killed or severely injured in uh, the course of this war. Here is uh, what uh, President Putin had to say about the arrival of peace. Uh, clip 10. Well, peace will come when we achieve our goals. And as to the goals, they have not changed. I can remind you what we uh, spoke about. Uh, we were talking about denazification and demilitarization of Ukraine. If they don't want to sit down at the negotiating table, we are forced to take military measures. But Ukraine is not producing. It has almost no production at the, at the moment. They're uh, importing everything. So the West has delivered everything it had promised and even more. But we've destroyed all of that since the start of uh, the counteroffensive, we destroyed 747 tanks, and almost 2,300 armored vehicles of various classes. So that's the demilitarization. Uh-huh. That's the demilitarization that is going on that is his goal uh, for the war. Um, the other war, the war in Israel, uh, Rashida Talib uh, was on with uh, Joy Reid uh, and arguing that uh, when she receives criticism, it only increases hate. 
listen, this is what the Congresswoman from Michigan has to say. Clip three. And I wonder if, if there's been a conversation with the White House there. The White House has been very sort of condemnatory toward you and toward others, particularly around the from the river to the sea language. And a lot of young people on college campuses use that same language. I want to give you an opportunity to explain what that means when people say that. I mean, for me and many folks and many of my residents, I mean, since their children, they've been saying it prior to even Hamas even existing, right? I mean, this was a call for liberation. Uh, when I, uh, I remember because it rhymed, right? And we were marching. It was about true liberation, about coexistence. Uh, it was about really loving peace uh, and coming together. So many of my residents didn't even know that folks thought of it as a different, in a different way. And it was the first time they actually heard folks try to vilify it. Or, uh, and, and again, for me, though, uh, to try to police me, to tell me what it means you know, to me yeah. as a Palestinian. Uh, and they know I come from a place of love. They know where my heart is. Uh, but again, they weaponized it to, um, to try to silence me. Okay, weaponized it to try to silence her. When the slogan uh, for a, uh, a piece of real estate that right now is uh, actually inhabited by the majority of the world's Jews and there are close to 8 million Jews who live between the river and the sea. Uh, and if you say Palestine will now be free, what, what happens to those individuals? Are they free? Or are they simply free to be killed or exiled? And the fact that that slogan has been used by Hamas, it's like the same reluctance that people like... Uh, uh, that uh, she is showing to even condemn Hamas. It's uh, a, a a strange and extreme and very unhealthy development that uh, what Talib uh, doesn't acknowledge is that there is an existing reality called Israel. And what she also doesn't acknowledge is that there never was a Palestinian entity or a Palestinian government or a Palestinian nation before. And even when all of the West Bank was uh, governed by Jordan, which is from 1948 through uh, 1967, while all of that happened, there was no effort at all to create for the first time in all of human history a new Palestinian entity, a new Palestinian state. And Rashida Tlaib has a very difficult time confronting any of that history. Uh, meanwhile, speaking of history, there is a, uh, a great deal of discussion about whether the current trend which seems in poll after poll after poll to show that Republicans, uh, particularly Republicans not named Trump, but including Trump as well, would do very well against Joe Biden, showing great weakness for Joe Biden. Cal Penn of The Daily Show says that those Trump cards, the mugshot cards, which are selling for $5,000, these are NFTs, uh, he's saying they should be used as a prop or a tool in the Biden campaign. How, why? Listen, clip two. A true collector's item. This is something to give to your family, to your kids, and grandchildren. Oh, yes. Well, what a perfect gift for the dad you stopped talking to. I 
wish that I loved anything as much as Trump loves scamming his own supporters. And look, if you're thinking, oh, this isn't funny, he's tricking people out of their hard-earned money for pieces of fabric from indicted men's warehouse, let's be honest, okay? It's not like this money was going to otherwise end up in a Roth IRA. It was either an NFT of Trump or a second pet snake. In fact, the popularity of these NFTs makes me think that Biden should run this video as a campaign ad. Because if you can afford to, right? If you can afford to blow five grand on a piece of a suit with mustard stains, the economy must be doing pretty good. And meanwhile, meanwhile, part of the economy is the subject of the new movie just released on DVD and streaming. It's a called Dumb Money, and it's a true story of stock market follies. Listen. Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. Paul Dano plays a young husband and father in Massachusetts who's struggling to make a living by commenting on the Internet about the stock market. And then he hits on one stock that's going to change his life in the bizarre true story, Dumb Money. I'm going to pick a stock and talk about why I think it's interesting. Retail traders have looked into GameStop. It looks like there's one guy driving all the buying. Well, the meow you heard there is because the real-life character, Keith Gill, was known as Roaring Kitty. And this often funny movie features a gifted cast, but you don't know much about these characters other than little subtitles that enumerate their personal net worth. For people who don't understand or follow the stock market, dumb money will be hard to follow or appreciate. And like the strange story it's telling, the plot drags on and on with a distinctly unsatisfying conclusion. Rated R for profligate use of the F word and other harsh language. Two stars for dumb money where I'm selling short this time. And, uh, again, a film that has its moments of insight and entertainment, but only a few. Uh, speaking of only a few, there are not many people who will endorse the big full-page ad run by the Freedom From Religion Foundation uh, trying to uh, have a new basis for celebrating this holiday season. The basis, there is no God, there is no sin, there is no higher purpose. How is it good to encourage those ideas? We'll be speaking with Governor Chris Christie, encouraging the idea that already running third in New Hampshire, that he could be the biggest surprise of this election season. We'll be speaking to Governor Christie next time. And we'll be speaking to Peter Coy on the economy with the Fed's decision, the Dow's reaction, inflation, and a soft landing. How is all that going to play out? in the election of 2024 for this greatest nation on God's green earth.